Welcome to the Her Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Aisha Durrani, naturopathic doctor, holistic life coach, and the girl next door. I'm reaching you from my living room in Toronto, Canada. In the podcast, I share learnings from my life and invite my listeners to journey along. Today, we're going to be talking about the lower and higher spiritual self, so stay tuned for more. In the last episode, we spoke about the lower brain and higher brain functions, and one of the things we understood is that the higher brain took on a more expansive, bigger picture, problem-solving kind of role, while the lower brain took on the more repetitive, primitive tasks role like breathing, heartbeat, that sort of a thing. And just as I was recording that, I had a part of me that kept saying, talk about the lower and spiritual self as well. So here we go. Now, for those of you who are interested and feel called to, I'd suggest Googling and opening up the seven stages of ego by Rumi, as told by Alif Shafak. You're going to hear me quote Maulana Rumi a lot, guys. Um, And so this will be a template for today's talk as well. Um, I wanted to kind of introduce you to a little bit of a background and um, give you a little bit more about myself. I was raised Muslim and then turned into Sufism in my mid-20s, and I've been a student of spiritual mysticism since then. I want to also debunk a lot of false perceptions that you might have around Sufism. Most of you think of the whirling dervishes when you hear of Sufi. Uh, Sufism or anyone who's a Sufi, and I'm going to give you my definition, or at least this is how I integrate my creator in my life. So I was born and raised in Dubai in the Middle East by Pakistani parents. Um, I had the luxury of being amongst friends from all walks of life. We went to an international private school and my best friends were of different religions. My parents' friend circles were also mixed. So I grew up not knowing exclusion, perhaps as much as one did if they were in a stricter country. Yes, I prayed five times a day, read our spiritual texts. I did not drink alcoholic drinks or eat pork. I'm going to extend that to also not eating a lot of animal meat as well. Did you guys know Prophet Muhammad preferred to eat less meat? So much love for you, Hazurpak. So growing up around multiple religions and a multicultural environment kept me open. I love these people. Keyword, love. We discussed each other's religious ways of doing things and shared from it. I freaking loved Diwali and Christmas. More light, I thought. I would make sure I'd bring egg-free cookies for my vegan teacher. At any party, our guests would just know to point us towards non-pork meat dishes. We gifted our neighbors on Christmas and it was beautiful. In the housing compound I lived in, I made friends from all places of the world. So France, Egypt, uh, Yugoslavia, Australia, Iran. And some of my school friends were from Southeast Asia. So Bangladesh, India, Sri Lanka, the Philippines. So acceptance was really easy of one another. And I think this is the way I'd like to raise my kids. When I moved to Canada, I found a lot of Muslims fearful of losing their religion, and honestly, I thought I lost mine. God, I miss the sound of the azan or the structure of things around prayer. But 
I'm also now going to read another chapter from my book we call We Meet Again because I want to share kind of how I integrated a little bit of this Middle East self into the present day in Canada. From the chapter from my book, We Meet Again. The hardest thing about the initial years in Canada was not about eating halal food, making friends, or getting the way of the land, rather keeping up with my prayers and namaz. From a young age, I was someone who self-developed towards routines and maintaining myself. As young as a girl in grade 5, I had my routine down. I was so strict with myself, I had my summers planned. Wake up at 8.30 a.m., brush my teeth and shower till 9 a.m., have breakfast at 9.30 a.m., pray at 12 p.m., and so forth. And it really bothered me being late by a minute or two. This little me that became hyper-independent was also a trauma response to emotionally unavailable parents at the time. Keeping up with prayers was almost impossible, being a full-time student at the university, especially during the Canadian winters. Giving up sleep and skipping meals did not shake me as much as not being able to pray in peace. It was always a rush, let's just get it done sort of prayer, and this broke me. It also made me realize how deeply I valued my time with my Creator. No matter how rushed the prayer, I would put up a fight to continue meeting my Creator at least, and at least make one sajda in peace. There were designated prayer spaces around the university campus, but they would be far from some of my lecture halls. So I prayed, I prayed in hidden spaces, under staircases, and the lecture halls before they got busy. If it was outside, I literally prayed in change rooms, in malls, even when the music was blasting. During labs, I'd schedule an experiment so I'd get the time to pray. I remember this once I prayed in a baby's change room, aka inside a washroom, guys. I eventually found a perfect hidden spot, my gradehira, in the library building. I carried a pocket prayer mat with me, and when I didn't, I used a piece of tissue paper to place on the floor where my head would bow onto. This fight with time to make a prayer in time waged a spiritual war within me. Aisha, why are you even praying when you're just mouthing words and not connecting? Do you even feel at peace? This was the start of a deeper spiritual war that started slowly to tip me over into meeting the deepest, darkest parts of myself, or what I call my spiritual depression. Now, mind you, this was not the only war being waged, but this was what tipped me over. If all I'm asked of myself is to present myself five times and I'm not able to, then what good am I? Why am I pursuing something that makes me away from my creator? Or maybe I'm weak and not able? Self-hate, rejection, despair, and many more hurts started to accumulate. At one point, it became too much, and I decided to stop prayers and just make my life easy. Boy, was I wrong. Severing even what seemed like momentary connections in those rushed prayers made me feel dead on the inside. This then taught me about what actually keeps me alive. Today, almost a decade later, I smiled as I made another rush prayer and then said to the Creator, and so we meet again this way. Knowing that even this rush prayer will be accepted, that the fight I put up then got me here today. Today, it no longer is a fight. It's immense ease. I no longer am so self-critical because I've watered self-love. 
I'll try again tomorrow. And the version of my creator I believe in is the one who is the most merciful. I also no longer confine remembering God at five points in the day. I speak to him waking up, before choosing my outfit for the day, before making any small or big decision. He is my companion. Which translates to, may you remember him in every moment, every minute of the day, not just in your prayers. So the chapter concludes here. So with some background and context, I want to share what my definition of Sufism is to me. It's simply someone who pursues God and divinity internally. And this then reflects externally in their life. So no, I'm not someone who is always meditating. Yes, I do a lot of it now. I do seek solitude, but I also pray and fast. I believe in one God and all the messengers that were sent down. So Adam, Joseph, or in the Bible, or Yusuf called in the Quran, Abraham or Ibrahim, Mother Mary or Maryam, Jesus or Isa al-Sam, and of course the last prophet, my beloved Rasul Pak, the prophet Muhammad. Any Muslim will tell you this. We believe in the Bible and the Torah. And by way of being a spiritual person, I also believe in any spiritual text that imparts spiritual wisdom and good values, such as in the Vedas, Sikhism, Buddhism. Anything that connects me back to my creator, I affirm. I can also choose to affirm my creator through acts towards Mother Earth, plant medicine, yoga, Reiki, Ayurvedic medicine, showing up for a person in need no matter their race, religion, status, ethnic origin, sex, or gender identity. Oh yeah, I'm really shaking your boat, ain't I? <laughs> this is because of a simple concept. I am not God. I am an acting servant. I am not the holder of the ultimate truth, al-Haq. Nor am I all-wise, al-Hakim, or the giver of justice, al-Hakam. All right, so let's get back into the lower and higher self. In a basic sense, your lower spiritual self is the animalistic primitive part of your soul. Again, I'm going to connect this to the basic needs of human safety, having a home, eating and drinking, procreating, logic-based thinking, and mainly operating on fear. This is where a lot of emotions such as pride, lust, hate, anger, envy can arise. It believes in the illusion it must be separate from others to remain safe. Those stuck in their lower selves are usually concerned with themselves or for themselves. This part also exerts a lot of control. I need to control my finances, my health, my freedom, my status. Your higher self is the part that is connected to your creator, the universe, mother earth, and a higher consciousness, if you will. It operates from a place of love, abundance, sovereignty, empathy, inclusiveness, and connection to all. This is a place of the heart. Heart-based thinking. It knows this world is simply for it to grow from and to grow from all the experiences, not to adopt the experiences or to get attached to them, but simply to take from them ways of growing and knowing more. It's the most free part of you. It breaks free from limiting beliefs, institutionalized belief systems, and ego identities. Those prevailing in their higher selves are concerned with and for themselves and everyone. 
this part expresses itself in freedom and abundance and is more giving, gives from its finances, its time, its energy. Now I want to make sure that you take this concept in the right and in the balanced way it's intended. You see, we were by design created with both parts. Just like when I mentioned in the previous episode, your fight or flight, which operates in the lower brain, will override when you're operating in the higher brain if there's an immediate threat, and it does so to protect you. Similarly, your lower self was created for a purpose. One cannot truly be whole if we do not integrate and appreciate both selves. You need this lower spiritual self to keep you grounded. Spending too much time in the higher self can leave you endlessly pursuing spirituality with no purpose. That was not what you were designed for. I believe I'm here to serve, to take in more experiences to grow and expand from them, and to integrate that expansive bigger picture perspective in my daily life. To bring both lower and higher selves to a balance of harmony. As Rumi states in the seven different stages of ego, beginning with the lowest ego self, nafs al-amara, or the commanding ego, this is the impulsive, non-reflective, and repetitive ego. It houses lust, pride, and stinginess. This is where most of humanity remains stuck, and is acting from this place serving this ego stuck in worldly pursuits and blaming those around for their struggles. Then we move to the second stage of the ego called the blaming or accusing ego or nafs al-lawama. Once you gain some self-awareness, you shift to blaming yourself instead of others. And this is where guilt, people-pleasing tendencies can transpire. This is usually intertwined with the third stage, the inspired ego or nafs al-mulhima, here you begin opening up a bit to those around you by way of knowing your first and second ego. Generosity and empathy starts to show up, so I want you to pause here and to just reflect here for a bit. Because to know what it means to be generous and empathic means to first know what it means to be stingy and self-centered. So the lower ego serves a purpose. Don't start hating it. This was by design. You had to know the first and second stage to get to the third, to appreciate the third. In the third stage, you begin to seek. You become a seeker and you start searching for knowledge and to turn it into wisdom. You surrender to this process and at, that, at this stage, humility and patience will show up. You feel inspired by everyone and everything around you. Now, as you keep journeying on to the fourth and the fifth and the sixth stages, you're opening yourself up more or unwinding, as my mentor would say, and you're becoming a much more freer version of yourself, free of the lower and the lower selves and integrating more of the higher self. The fourth stage is the serene ego or nafs al-mutmaina. Mutmin in Urdu means I'm satisfied. And the fifth stage is the pleased ego, or nafs al-radiya. You begin to be content with any hardships thrown at you, and you are devoted to your spiritual expansion here. Here, one is in touch with a much deeper part of their divine self and can receive inspirations from their creator and guides. 
You begin to read any spiritual text and understand it with depth. You connect deeply with those around you and you feel detached from a lot of the worldly pleasures. At the sixth stage, nafs al-mardiya, you move from being the pleased ego to being the pleasing ego. You are devoted boundlessly to the knowledge of your creator. You do acts that please your creator because you want to, not because you have to. The divinity in you shines and divine traits show up in you. In this stage, you become a lighthouse, carrying the light and radiating wisdom, love, and peace to those around you. And by doing so, teaching those around you and helping them with their light, wherever one goes, they inspire them to reach their higher selves and remind them of their light and try to protect them from falling back into the darkness of their lower selves. This is where some become teachers or healers. The seventh and last stage is the purified ego or the pure self, known as insane kamil or jivan mukti or attaining moksha in different texts. Very few know of the state, but perhaps it's the stage of our prophets. A stage perhaps where one has to complete or have complete control over the lower egos and has self-mastered. Now I'd like to reiterate that this is just my knowledge and that the highest one knows best. A term wrongly translated and used in and is incorrectly depicted of Muslims is jihad. And I'd like to take the opportunity to give you the correct meaning. Jihad is a journey and the internal battle you wage against your lower selves and your ego to reach your higher ego stages. Jihad's parallel is perhaps sadhana in Buddhism and Hindu text. In Vedic texts, we call the ego ahamkara, which translates to the will to exist which is the ego part. And as we work on the ego and reach higher consciousness, we start connecting with our higher self or Atma, which translates to the light of life or God's light in you. I would also like to warn myself first and those listening about the spiritual ego, which is a trap I've definitely fallen prey to. So you don't need to attain becoming a spiritual self. You are one already. You don't need to defeat your ego. You are an ego. You just need to attain understanding and harmony between these. Compassionate inquiry towards your lower selves. Why are you this way? Will do you much good and will be a good remedy if you're battling with this. I leave you with so much light and love and want to thank you for sticking out to the end of this episode. I'm signing off. Take care of yourselves.